to see you today, and I want to welcome all those who are worshiping with us online as well. We're glad to have you. Now, today we're going to start a new series, and it's entitled Bestseller. You ever read any bestsellers? Anybody ever read those? I want to commend one to you. It's called the Bible. It's a great bestseller. A lot of people read that, and it's a benefit to all of us. Or the other title of this sermon could be, Read What I Gave You, God. What do you think? Which one do you like the best? Because it's a love letter that God wrote to us. It's a way for him to communicate with us. It's kind of like a road map for life. It's an opportunity for us to learn what he teaches us. He has principles, and those principles he wants us to live by. When we live by those principles and we walk in grace with him, we're in his will. We're following his word. We're doing what he's calling us to do. Now, I want to share a confession with you today, and that's always good, isn't it? Anybody else want to make a confession before I do? And want to have any volunteers for that? You don't always see that, do you? Years ago, probably around 20 years ago, I was at Lake Jinaluska, North Carolina, and we were at minister's conference. And this guy got up named Dick Wills. He was a Methodist preacher, and he was talking about his devotional life. And he said he came to a place in his ministry where he was just dry as he could be, that, that it was just uh, difficult. He was burnt out. He was tired. He was worn out emotionally, spiritually. Everything was just kind of at the bottom level. And he said he had a friend named Wayne Cordera who lived in Hawaii. And, and Wayne Cordera had been through something similar. And so he went out to visit his friend in Hawaii. He stayed out there for two weeks. And Wayne Cordera had this journal, this book that he used to read through the Bible in a year. And he would use it in his daily devotional life. And so he would write down things that he read. He would write down prayers. It was just a discipline that enabled him to grow in his faith as he continually every day read Scripture. And, you know, God began to speak to me during that time and convicted me that I needed to do that because I prayed, I read the Bible, but I didn't do it every single day. There were times when I would miss. And so I needed this discipline in my life, and so I didn't want to do it. And God and I had a disagreement, and guess who won? If you want to see God laugh, just tell him your plans, right? And so I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. So I started doing it, and I've done it ever since. And I've filled up several of those journals over the years now. I've got stacks of them. But, but here's the thing. What I would do is I would look at the Scripture for the day, and I would read it, and I would make any notes and write down any prayers, and I would spend that time reading God's Word. Now, there are a lot of other things I do in my devotional time, and I'll read, you know, several different books. I do have these little books that I pray. Uh, one of them is for my wife, and then one of them is for my children. One of them is for my grandchildren. So I, I, I used to call Laura, my wife, and, and I would leave her a voicemail at work, and I would pray that little prayer for that day's devotional, and then she could listen to it whenever. And then my daughters, as they were growing up, I'd do that same thing for them. I had this little book, and I would just read that little devotional. That wasn't the only thing I prayed for them, but it was one little thing that I did, and I would send it to them. Well, I did that for years and years and years, and then one day, you know, I couldn't do my devotional early in the morning. I always try to do it then. I was going out of town, and I had to do it sometime that day. I wasn't going to do it then. My daughters, I didn't even know if they listened to those voicemails or not, but they said, hey, where's my, where's my prayer today? You, you, hadn't, you hadn't called me. You hadn't prayed. And I said, before the day's over, I will. It was a great accountability for me, and so, you know, it might be that night, but most of the time, it's first thing in the morning. When I first came to Woodlawn, went into my office, I shut the door. The first thing I do every morning is have my quiet time. I just block that time out. I've got an appointment with God. I'm not available, okay? 
And so I would pray in there. And I pray out loud because I'm simple-minded and I'm going to lose my train of thought if I don't. And so I'm praying out loud. About a week went by and Steve Irwin was in the office next to me at that time. He said, hey, you've been praying in there. I've, I've heard you. I, he said, at first I thought you were talking on the phone, but then it hit me. You were actually praying in there. I said, yeah, I do that every morning. That's my quiet time. And we talked about it and joked about it. And then he moved to a different office. He didn't want to be next to me anymore. <laughs> I was making too much noise in the morning there, so now Cameron has to put up with me. Anyway, uh, you know, during that time, I, I, it was a benefit to me, and I still do it every day. So if you try to get in touch with me first thing in the morning at the office, I'm not available. I'm in there. I'm sequestered, and I do that first. Then, you know what I do next? I read the newspaper. There's a, there's a paper. It comes out in paper form. And you get newsprint on your hands, and you pick it up at the store, and you can bring it to the office, and you can read it. I know y'all not familiar with newspapers or anything like that. You do everything online. I can't read it on my phone. It's too small. And so I pick it up, and I've always done that. John Wesley said you ought to have a Bible in one hand, and you ought to have the newspaper in the other. And so I did that. So I just want you to know that it was a benefit to me. And what I, what I thought I could do now, because I, I learned about this from um, this guy, Dick Wills, who, who went and saw John, uh, or went to saw Wayne Cordera in Hawaii, I'd like for you to send me to Hawaii now. <laughs> that's the whole point of this whole thing here, so that Laura and I could grow in our spiritual life. I think that's reasonable, don't you? Huh? Yeah. So we're going to take up a special op. No, we're not. I'm just joking. Okay. Here's what I want to do. What I've discovered is a lot of people don't know the history of the church or the history of the Bible. And so today my, my sermon's going to be a little different and the outline's going to be different. Do you find the outline? Have you got the outline in front of you? There's no fill in the blanks on the outline because there's so much material to cover there. I didn't want you to miss anything. And also, I want you to keep that outline with you. It's something that you can use from now on. Put it in your Bible, and you can learn a lot about church history and about the Bible and the history of the Bible. Now, here's the point. A lot of people today don't understand what people went through to get the Bible to us as we know it in this form. So I hope this will be a lesson, something that will teach you something new today, all right? I want to thank both of you for that underwhelming response there. I did this great introduction. I got you all fired up, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I've already started sleeping now. All right, so let's look at Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the Word of God is alive and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, the Bible is alive. It's not just words on a page, but it is the, the Word of God. It's transforming, it's powerful, and it's active. And yet, sometimes people don't realize how important it is and they neglect it. For example, how many of you own a Bible? Anybody own any Bibles in here? Okay, good. How many of you own two or more Bibles? Okay, good. All right. How many of you read your Bible every day this week? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a challenge, isn't it? And it was for me for many years. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I'm just trying to encourage you to grow in your faith there. Now, the psalmist says in 119.16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In other words, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If I spend time with him and I read his word, I'm going to grow in my faith. Now, he uses that word neglect, and that word neglect is a Hebrew word. It's shakah. 
Shakah. And, and what it means is to lay aside, to forget, to take for granted, or to neglect. That's really the Hebrew translation for it. And so the other side of that is, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to delight in your word, Lord. I will not forget your word. I won't take it for granted. I will not neglect it. And so it's kind of a commitment that we're trying to make today to say, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do with God's word. I'm going to ask him to speak to me through it. And I'm going to try to do this faithfully on a daily basis because it's a huge problem. In John, the first chapter, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And we're going to come back to that at the end of this message today and talk more about that. Why is it important for us to read the Bible today? Well, I want to share the history of the Bible with you. How did God bring us His Word? It all started thousands of years ago between 1400 and 1500 B.C. when God Himself wrote the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses on Mount Sinai. He got, gave them to him, and he was speaking his word to Moses. Years later, the first scriptures known are the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for thousands of years, scripture was recorded on animal skins that were called scrolls, okay? Now, when the entire Pentateuch was found on a scroll, it was called the Torah. And that Torah scroll, if you completely unraveled the whole thing, it would be about 150 feet long. By approximately 500 B.C., the 39 books of the Old Testament were completed. And they continued to preserve them in Hebrew on those scrolls that I mentioned. By the end of the first century A.D., the New Testament was completed, and it was preserved in the Greek language on papyrus, a thin paper-like material that was made from crushed and flattened stalks of a reed-like plant. Then in 367 A.D., the bishop of Alexandria, a guy by the name of Athanasius, wrote an Easter letter, and in it he listed all the books that you and I read in the New Testament today. By the year 393 A.D., the African Senate at Hippo approved all those books that you and I find in the New Testament as well. By the year 500 A.D., the Bible had been translated in over 500 different languages. People all over were so thankful because now they could read God's Word in their own language. But then something very unusual happened. In just the next century, the next 100 years, by the year 600 A.D., the Bible was only allowed to be written in one language. Now you say, why was that? Well, the Catholic Church of Rome at that time was, only, was the only recognized church in the land, and they issued a decree that the Bible could not be written in any other language other than Latin. And if a person was found holding a Bible that was written in any other language besides Latin, they could be executed on the spot. Now you may be wondering, why did this happen? Well, let me share with you. Unfortunately, this is about the Catholic Church in that day, and I'll say something about the Catholic Church today in just a minute. The Catholic Church in that day became very corrupt. 
The priests were the only ones who were educated. They're the only ones who could read Latin. And so the common people couldn't even read God's word. Now, the priests were given ultimate power. They could teach the parts of the Bible they wanted to teach, and then they could skip the parts they didn't want to, and they could throw some in if they wanted to as well, and that was common. In fact, it was common in those days for a person to have to go and pay for indulgences. Now, indulgences were a way to pay for forgiveness. If they sinned and, and for a certain amount of money, they could go to the priest and pay that money. And he'd say, because you paid the money for that, now your sins are forgiven. The Catholic Church also taught about a place called purgatory. And it's a word that's not found in Scripture. But they said if your relative dies, then they could go to purgatory. It's kind of a holding place between heaven and hell, a place you don't want to be. And for a certain amount of money, you could pay their freedom. So if you've got a relative, they say, who's in purgatory. In today's world, for example, if your grandmother was in purgatory, you could pay $10,000 and get her out of purgatory, okay? Now, the priests used this forced ignorance, and between the years of 400 A.D. and 1400 A.D., they deceived the masses. And during that 1,000-year period, that became known as the Dark Ages. You may be wondering, how did the church break free from that long season of dark and horrible corruption? Well, the answer is simple. Once the truth of God's Word got into people's hands and the right hands, then what happened is God used those people to bring about the reformation of the church. Now, let me say something parenthetically. That if you hear what I'm saying today as a criticism of the Roman Catholic Church today, you are mishearing what I'm saying. I don't know of any denomination who's taken a stronger look at herself in the past few years to, for God to bring reformation than the Roman Catholic Church of today. But the church in Martin Luther's day just kept people apart from the Bible. And when John Wycliffe and John Huss and men like that wanted to translate the Bible into a language that people could read for themselves and understand, they were quickly excommunicated from society. One of them was literally burned at the stake for doing that. Now here's what happened. In the year 563 A.D., there was a guy named Columba. Columba was a guy who led a secret Bible society. It was kind of like a Bible school where they could faithfully teach God's Word. And that group of people became a remnant on the earth where God's Word was taught faithfully century after century. Now, for about 700 years, they would disciple one another. They would meet together. They would study God's Word, and they would learn together faithfully. In fact, it was out of that group that God raised up some people to bring about the Reformation. In the late 1300s, one of these individuals was a guy by the name of John Wycliffe. And he was the man that God used to do some tremendous things. He was the very first guy to translate the Bible into the English language. And when he did so, everybody who could read the English language now, they could read the Bible for themselves. At that time, it would take about 10 months for them to translate the Bible into a new language and get it down so that you and I could read it. Well, he was faithful in spreading God's word, but unfortunately, the church called him a heretic. A heretic. What's a heretic? A heretic is just somebody who goes against the doctrine or the beliefs of the church. And he was saying, hey, the church, they're the ones that are practicing heresy. I'm not. I'm trying to follow the scripture. And so that was going on. And, and the pope was so disgusted by this guy that 44 years after his death, 
he ordered that Wycliffe's bones be dug up and destroyed and spread across the river. Boy, that's kind of hanging on to it, isn't it? Some people say that Wycliffe actually was the morning star of the Reformation. He was the one that God used to kind of start the ball rolling for the necessary Reformation of the church. Wycliffe also had a disciple. His name was John Huss. And Huss was equally, equally passionate about sharing God's word and getting it into the hands of as many people as possible. Unfortunately, Huss too was called a heretic and was actually burned at the stake. But here's what you need to know. What do you think they used to start the fire when they burned Huss at the stake? They took all of his teacher, Wycliffe's Bibles, and they put them at the feet, and they lit them and started them on fire, and he was burned at the stake. They spread Bibles all around him and started that fire. And then the next 100 years, he said, before he died, he had this quote, God will raise up a man who's called to reform, and he cannot be suppressed. And that's exactly what God did. In 1517, God raised up a man named Martin Luther, who was fed up with all the corruption in the church, and he actually believed that God was calling him to lead the Reformation. In fact, it was on All Hallows' Eve that Martin Luther took what was known later as the 95 Theses. 95 Theses is just a document of 95 claims of heresy. And he went and he nailed it to the church at Wittenberg, Germany. He nailed it to the front door. People now describe that event as the knock that was heard around the world. And God used those accusations of heresy to spark what's become known as the Reformation of the Protestant Church, the Protestant Reformation. God also used Martin Luther to take the Bible and translate it into the German language. And then he took a recent invention called the printing press, the invention of Gutenberg, and he used it to get the Bible into the hands of the masses. Of course, Luther was called a heretic too, and people wanted to kill him, and he had to spend much of his time, his life on the run. But God used him to spark a major church change in getting the word of God into the masses of the people. Now, about the same time, there was a guy by the name of John Coley. He was an Oxford professor, and he translated the Bible into English for his Oxford students. Now, he would go and take that Bible in English language to St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And he would preach to the people and teach them what God's Word was saying. Do you know how many people they had coming to listen to him preach every week? 20,000 people would come because they were so desperate to hear God's Word. 20,000. And they said that was just inside. Outside, there were more people waiting to get in because they wanted to hear God's Word. The tragedy is that even though they packed in 20,000 back then, if you go there to visit today, they still have worship. But there'll only be about 200 people who come, and most of them are tourists who've heard about what went on. People were hungry and desperate. They'd do anything to hear God's Word. In the year 1526, there was a guy named William Tyndall who befriended Martin Luther. And God used William Tyndall to print the very first English Bible. And that's the good thing. The bad thing is that anybody who was caught with that illegal Bible would be executed immediately. You can only imagine the demand there would be for people to read in English what the Bible had to say in a language they could understand. 
They would do almost anything to get God's word into their hands. These people became incredibly creative, and they began to smuggle Bibles from London and, and share them. They ha would sometimes put the Bibles in bales of cotton, or they would put them in bags of flour, and they would do whatever they could to get the Bibles out to people. Ironically, one of the biggest buyers of Tyndall's Bibles were the king's men. The king's men, the soldiers, they bought them. They didn't buy them to read them. They bought them to burn them. But Tyndall was a smart businessman. He said, yeah, I'll sell them to you. He took that money and just used it to make more Bibles and get them out to more people. And so, unfortunately, because of what he was doing was considered illegal, Tyndall was on the run for 11 years of his life. Can you imagine waking up every morning and not knowing who's going to come and get you and you have to run and get out of, out of the way from people who are trying to kill you simply because you want to share the Word of God with other people? And that's what Tyndall experienced day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year until he was running for his life because people wanted to execute him and they finally caught up with him. They put him in jail for about 500 days trying to decide what to do with him and in the year 1536, they decided to burn him at the stake as well. His last words, though, were a prayer to God, which people will remember forever. Here's what he prayed. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. And in three years, in 1539, God answered that prayer. Not only did the king of England allow the Bible to be printed in the English language, but he began to help fund it and get the word of God out free for people. Think about that and remember the people who died and gave their lives fighting so that you and I might have God's active word so that we might not neglect it today. Many people gave their lives in an effort to ensure that the Bible be available to everyone and to anyone. You can get the Bible on hard copy. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it online. There are audio versions. You can use your smartphone. Did you know that there's a Bible app? You can have devotional plans and highlights and bookmark scripture, and it can be read to you. You can just listen to somebody read it. And the, the Bible app is free. And scripture says in John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word. This is what we read at the beginning of the message, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And it goes on to say, the Word became flesh and made, and made His dwelling among us. Do you know who that's talking about? It's talking about Jesus. The Word of God became flesh as Jesus came to earth, and then He made His Word real to us. He didn't just give us the Bible to read, but he, he gave us the Bible to see when he gave us Jesus. And he said, if you want to know what I'm like, just look at my son, and then you'll know me. And he says, read my word, because it's truth, and truth can't be compromised. You read my word, I'll teach you what to do. I'll teach you how to live. I'll teach you how to turn to me. I'll teach you how to let me show you what to do in life and what not to do, to be obedient to me. And so to know God and to serve him and to follow him, we have to feed on his word. We, we've got to just immerse ourselves in the word because the world is always giving us messages. The world is always telling us what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes that doesn't line up with the Bible. And if you ever want to know what's right and what's wrong and how to live and how to make decisions, you don't go to the world because they don't know they're lost. But you go to God's Word because you then can be an example 
to a lost and dying world who's looking for the answer but can't find it, and you can show them the answer by the way you live your life. I, I will delight in your decree. I will not neglect your word. So today, you're going to come to communion, and I want to challenge you to do something today. When you come to communion, I want to challenge you to spend some time in prayer. You can do it when you go back and sit down, or you can kneel up here if you want to. We'll be glad for you to do that as well. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I did when I went to Lake Jinalaska, the minister's conference. And I want you to ask God a question. Lord, what would you have me do with the Bible? And today he may be saying to you, you know, I know you read my word. And I know you pray, but you don't do it every day. I want to encourage you to have some kind of discipline that will help you to do it every day. And so what I want you to do is find one. And, and there's all kinds. You can get them printed. You can get them online. There's all kinds of ways for you to learn how to read the Bible and, and to do that daily. And when you, at the end of the year, you will have read through the entire Bible every year. And, and you can just do that every year over and over again. Now, here's the beauty part about the Bible. You read the Scripture, and you come back another day, and you read that same Scripture, and God gives you something fresh that day with that same scripture that you read before. You saw something different. Then all of a sudden, now you see something different. But there's no other book you can read, and that happens. Now, you can read good books, and you can enjoy reading them over and over and over again. Just ask my wife, Laura. She likes to read. She's a reader. Good thing, too, because she's a literacy coach, okay? She coaches teachers how to help children read. Pretty good deal there. It just worked out perfectly for her, didn't it? And so, you know, you learn things. But listen, you, nothing will help you learn more than reading God's Word. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to do that, and I want to encourage you to, to make a commitment. Say, Lord, with your help, I want to do this every day. With your help, I want to be faithful and obedient. I, I'm not smart enough to know what to do. I, I don't know how to make decisions. I don't know how to do what I need to do. But you do, Lord. And you've always led me. You've always protected me. You've always blessed me. And I just pray that you'll use your word to continue to help me be the person that you want me to be. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray not only will we read it, faithfully, but we will put it into practice. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.